cheaper than our producer's underage sister. Edgier than the stuff shown on late night television. Newer than Kim Kardashian's ex, live from Orlando, it's Crazy Train Radio. wrestling episode one of our guests is actually on the line and who has ties to like I said Mando Guerrero earlier actually trained this lovely lady little Egypt from glow little Egypt how you doing hi good Adam how are you wonderful wonderful first thing I'd have to ask you about that's going around in a good way on the internet we got Glow, the story of gorgeous ladies of wrestling, the documentary going on. What can you tell me about the documentary? Well, uh, it's right now currently in the film festivals. And for any of your listeners who remember that television show back in the late 80s, it ran for four years. It was an all-female wrestling show. And we, it, was a, it was wrestling with variety. So we had skits. We had raps. Uh, we wrestled for one hour, an entire female cast, and it lasted for four years. So we uh, had some great ratings, and then out of nowhere, the show was canceled due to the major uh, funder pulling his funds from the production. And the documentary kind of is a real nice look at what GLOW was like for so many of us girls and the uh work that we did on the show as well as the backstories and what it was like to be a glow girl and the auditioning process and what we went through because there it was crazy times you know we were practicing kayfabe the good girls stayed away from the bad girls we all were sequestered we lived two to a room at the riviera hotel till they moved us into a house later in season three and four so it's a really interesting story and it takes a real human turn and i don't want to give any spoilers but it is a great story of women coming together and the sisterhood that we still share to this day so if you are interested in reading some of the reviews of Glow the documentary, then just go to glowthemovie.com and you can check out all the reviews. You could see where it's screening, if it's screening in your area. We were just where you were at 
Um, and we, right, like it's currently screening in LA right now. And then it's got, because that show was sold out, they're doing an encore showing. So there's always ways to get to this film. And you will see, hopefully, uh, the first part of next year, you will see this available on DVD. When? Just keep following the uh, website and you'll get minute-by-minute updates on exactly what's going on with the movie. Now, when did you actually first hear about the documentary? I heard about it very, very early on. I was one of the first girls interviewed in the documentary, and that was over three years ago. This documentary took two and a half years, and not because they had trouble putting together a documentary. It's just that girls kept started surfacing, and each time a girl surfaced, you know, took time to get her interview and and to see how it would fit. Uh, in in the story that was being told in this Glow documentary, you will see interviews of they interviewed close to 30 girls just for the documentary. If they're not in the in the major part of the film, then they'll be in bonus features because there was a lot of girls that gave their interviews. And so it's definitely worth getting your hands on the DVD to get your uh, get a take on what all the girls were feeling. Well, out of curiosity now, because obviously you're not in the ring anymore, but you're, you know, you're yeah. a wife and mother now. Uh, what does your immediate family feel about looking back at your history with Glow as a wrestler? Well, I'm still with uh, the same man I was with prior to Glow. So uh, my husband, I've been with him 27 years. He thought I was crazy getting into wrestling, but he didn't stop me. And then after wrestling, we kind of, I kind of put it to bed because there wasn't a lot of opportunity for me in the wrestling world. There just wasn't. I mean, I, I did a little managing as Palestina's manager. I went on to, you know, stay on tour for a little bit longer. But, I, you know, the, the reality of my situation was very clear, and I, I really needed to get into an industry that could provide wealth for me. So I got into the real estate business, and I was in real estate for 20 years, had a son, and uh, did not want to show my son any of my wrestling footage uh, until YouTube surfaced. And then these little clips started showing up on YouTube of me. And I thought, okay, now's the time. He's 16. I think he can, you know, I think he'll be able to handle it. You know, whatever it is, we can definitely talk it out. He's a mature dude. And so I showed him some YouTube videos and he was just, couldn't believe it. He loved it. It was like, why did you wait to tell me this kind of stuff? And he wanted to share it with his friends. But Adam, I have to tell you, um, I was very hesitant as a, you know, he was a sophomore in high school and I really did not know if this was going to be used against him. You know, if someone was going to just, you know, make fun of him for his mom being a wrestler. And I was just very sensitive about it. And then, um, after he graduated, all his friends now think I'm the coolest chick ever to <laughs> so, walk the planet. So. so you're the fun mom then, pretty much. Oh, yeah. And then I got to be in a music video, thanks to Billy Corgan, who put me in his Awada music video. And it's, and it's a it's a short film. It's also a music video about female wrestling. And I played a booker. And um, 
that was just at the time my son started college. And that was like, that just sent me right through the, you know, I, I, I'm on a plateau that no other mom can touch in my son's college because I'm a wrestler and in a music video. So that's like the bomb. Beautiful. Going back to the glow, the reunion with the girls, the whole bit. Is there particular ones that you stay in touch with or do you try to stay in touch with as many as possible? Well, I'm, I am committed to not only staying in touch with all the ones that I've been able to find so far to this date. Uh, my relationships have gotten so much stronger with the girls that I used to wrestle with thanks to social media and just being able to pick up the phone and call them. There's a lot of girls still missing, and this glow story is we all share the same story. So to know that there's a girl out there that doesn't know about what's going on, uh, I'm driven to try and find who that trying to find those missing girls and to make sure that they're also part of this glow story and sisterhood that we have. Now there's a lot of girls like in season three and four that I never knew until after you know we started connecting through the glow documentary, and I have forged some wonderful relationships with girls that I never knew before. But our stories are the same. We share the same. A weird, awkward time in our life, and that that gives us uh, a connection, and it really helps build this this bond, this sisterhood, this friendship, and that's uh, that's something that I'm still doing to this day. Now let's go back to when actually Glow was running. It was, if I remember correctly, it was founded by David McLean and Jackie Stallone. That must have been an interesting parody there. Well, it was uh, it was David McLean's baby, and he was the one that was able to secure uh, the major funder, Rickless, who would only agree to doing the show if they signed on his friend, Matt Simber, who was the director. And at that time, Matt Simber was already a very successful uh, director in Los Angeles. He was married to Jane Mansfield. He had done several movies and he's still actually does movies to this day. He's in his seventies and the, and the guy doesn't stop. So Jackie came on as a work. She was a a cast member like the rest of us, but she was a huge draw for the show. And as her leading the good girls with aunt Kitty leading the bad girls, it really helped because at the time that glow was out, her son was the most famous person in the world. So uh, anyone with a fascination of Sly and what was going on in his world would also find a lot of interest in what his mom was doing. And I remember, you know, when she would fly in and, and we'd she'd do her raps and whatever, you know, and sit in the audience. It was just so cool to have her there, and we loved it. Now, we loved now it. with Jackie involved, have you been able to meet, or at the time, did you meet the boys, both Frank and Sly? Frank came in often, uh, not sly. She would bring with her her grandson, Sage, and I'm sure you heard in the news that he had just recently passed away. And uh, He was just around 10 years old at the time when he was coming in. He absolutely loved the show, and he'd come with his grandma and... He had like a huge crush on Hollywood and he just thought Mount Fiji was the best thing ever. You know, this huge giant of a woman he just idolized and 
we loved him and it was so i mean he'd he'd bring flowers for the girls and he was just was he was so engaged in the show and loved it and we loved him and you know we feel like we lost a family member when we lost stage and i can't express it to you it's just still a real real sad time. I, I have his contact information in my phone. I can't delete it. Like I, I, I see his name and his number. And I just can't, I just can't, you because know, of the personal connection. Can't get rid of and it. trust me, I know we, I've lost plenty of people myself with that personal connection there. You just can't get rid of it. Yeah. No, no. I look at it and I'm just like, I just can't believe he's gone. It brings back fond memories. That's for sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you, you mentioned about the rap songs and everything else. The, the one I yeah. found funny, well, not funny, but entertaining for sure, is I guess you would call it your version or a closed version of the Bears Super Bowl Shuffle. Any uh, particular? Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, did that one ever stand out, or was there any one of those particular raps or songs that stood out? Well, you know what was cool about Glow? Each girl had her own rap. So, uh, in the beginning, in the early seasons, uh, like like Queenie, Matilda the Hun, and Tina, and, and I can roll off like a handful of girls that actually wrote their own raps. My rap was written by uh, Steve Blontz, who uh, was the premier writer of GLOW, so he did my rap, and uh, later on did, the majority of the raps came from Steve. So that was really fun, that we all had this unique rap that identified us that was edited in prior to the match not the whole rap you'd see like maybe one verse so each time the girl would show up or get ready to walk into the ring you'd see one verse of this rap and it was just way cool cool and we we loved it now there's another there was a song called um Matilda wrote uh, the one where she eat raw meat song and the good girl uh, the bad girl stuff the, the whole concept of the Bad Girl montage was Matilda the Huns, and it was just a, a real creative environment. And one of the things that we really enjoyed was that we were given a lot of creativity. We were told, you know, at that point, you know, who we were going to match up with, how, you know, how they wanted to see it play out, what the theme of the match was. But then we were given the opportunity for like the whole week, we got to just talk about how we wanted you know how we wanted it to escalate and play out in the storyline and we got to do all that ourselves so we really we were really connected and we we got the bug you know the wrestling bug was there and so even though with the the little training that we did have you know we were still trying to watch television and figure out how we wanted to make the best matches possible because we weren't cast as you know we weren't wrestlers that were cast most the majority of the girls that were cast for the season one and two episode uh seasons were you know actresses they were models they were you know cheerleaders you know that's what that's where they pulled from well uh you did have like i mentioned at the beginning of the interview someone from a famous mm -hmm. guerrero family helping train you guys mando was he for you in helping you yeah. learn Mondo Guerrero, I mean, we, we really hang our hats on the training that we got from Mondo. Now, Mondo was hired to train the girls for the pilot episode, 
And so the girls that were all cast in L.A., and I can go through them with you, but it was basically Tina and Ashley and Hollywood and Vine and uh, I think Matilda was there, Chainsaw and Spike. Those were the girls that were in the, um, the first season coming from L.A. They got to train with Mondo. And then girls like Americana took over when they when the show got to the Riviera Hotel in Las Vegas. So the first trainers uh, and this trickle down approach that we used from what Mondo taught us, there was this trickle down approach. And then Americana and Royal Hawaiian did training. And then I was trained by Attaché. And then after Attaché came Nanuchka and Debbie Debutant did training. And so there were there were girls that would rise up to take on this job of training. But the formula stayed the same, The starting with, with uh, somersaults, then into three-quarter rolls, then taking a bump, then slapping out, then hitting the ropes, you know, and then gradually growing into bigger and more complex moves. All that was, thankfully, we had Mondo to pull from and everything that he brought to the table. So the girls give Mondo the credit for the great training that we were get, that we were receiving at that time. Now, that's not to say that the girls today that are in the ring or are, their, their moves are, and what they're doing is so incredible and dynamic and athletic that I, I can't even fathom the thought of putting my body through what they're putting their bodies through right now. But, you know, in the eighties, we had the best. Yeah. They, there was no, uh, there was, there was no expense spared to make sure that we got the best training we could possibly get. Yeah. Well, because you mentioned between your generation of wrestler and the current girls, at least from what I see with the current girls, and this is just my opinion, yeah, I think you do see a difference. Mm-hmm. A difference in ones who I think can actually work and ones who are just eye candy. I hate to say it. Yeah, you, I think you mm-hmm. I think do think you see a difference. Yeah, when those I okay. don't know I don't know what you think about that. Do you see any of the girls currently working? Do you watch it all? Oh yeah. Well, I I'm I'm a big fan of the girls working in the indie markets right now. I love what's going on in television too, okay? And I think the girls that make it get on onto primetime, they, you know, and regardless if they're a baby face or, you know, they're, you know, just eye candy, they got there. Kudos. Kudos. What I'm seeing is this new revolution thanks to from promotions like Shimmer and uh and resistance pro out of Chicago that are giving women the chance to really, you know, have more of a, you know, of an athletic appearance and treat the sport like a, uh, this really aggressive Japanese style kind of combat that's going on. And I dig that. I dig that, but I love also, and I'm, I don't want to take anything away from anyone. Um, I, cause I came up from campy, Okay, and I I thought you know I was probably cast because of I, that I probably fit the role for eye candy possibly. I mean I came out belly dancing <laughs> for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know. Uh, um, but there's something to say about delivering there too, and so uh, I love it all. I would like to see 
more uh, of the bigger promotions like TNA and WWE bring on a more diverse range of female workers. I've always been really outspoken about that. I was thrilled to see Karma step up in the WWE. I'm devastated to see her leave. And I think that they were really on to something by creating character bigger than life characters. I'm, I am a little bored with, you know, the same beautiful woman as a baby face or a heel. I mean, I'm ready to see storylines and I'm ready to see, you know, character driven profiles. That's what I want to see. But that's just my personal taste. I'm not the one making the bucks over there at the WWE. Well, they, and I also think, too, what, speaking of WWE in a women's division, that the division was a little bit better a couple of years ago when you had somebody like a Fit Finley working with the girls. And you had girls like, say, Lita and Trish Stratus and, you know, just yeah. now she's in TNA, Tara. Yeah, when you had those girls, yeah. they were both beautiful but were great in the ring physically as yeah. well. They they balance that yeah. line. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm a big fan of uh, the girls from the early diva division, like the 90s. Like my, my friend, uh, Lisa Moretti, yes. who went on to become Ivory. Yes, she was part at, of that generation. In the WWE. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know those girls, Sunny, and uh, you know just the the rivalries and that existed over there at that time, and what those girls were doing in the '90s, I thought was way cool, way cool. And they added, um, you know, they added their own flavor to it, and it was still really attractive and and athletic and beautiful, and they balanced it really, really nicely. Yes, yes it was done. But let's go back to you because you yeah. mentioned it here. Okay. With the knee injury, the ACL, correct? How did that happen exactly? Yeah. Well, you can see it on YouTube. Uh, I saw one title. It's called Little, e- Little Egypt's Last Match. And there's a clip there. I can't believe they even made a match out of it because I was gone in like the first minute. Uh, but my heel caught in the separation of a mat. Uh, not because of a bad move or a horrible fall or anything. My, I'm a bare, I was a barefooted wrestler and my heel caught in that separation and it just snapped. That was it. That was the end of my wrestling career. And, um, like I said earlier, I, I did a little, I did a little touring as a manager, but the writing was on the wall in that industry. You can smell it coming, you know, and you're just like, ugh, it's, and I was in my early 20s, so I still had quite a bit of life left in me. So I went on into the business world and and uh, became a investor and a real estate agent and worked that for 20 years. And then as a result of this documentary, which has been a blessing on so many levels, Adam, it really has been this huge blessing. Uh, oh, I got to open my eyes again to the wrestling business. And now I found that I can really give back to the wrestling business through the Cauliflower Alley Club, where I speak and I do seminars every year on how to promote and build through social media. And I'm an advocate for the female workers that are out there right now. And I'm a, and I'm all my uh, energy in giving back to that business is spent on um, making sure that the girls that are out there working right now are aware of pitfalls, how to protect themselves, what a predator might look like, scams that are going on. You know, I, I, I'm using social media as a, as a network 
to making sure that if there's girls working in this industry that they know we have a support group. And that's one of the things that I feel like that the documentary gave to me is that opportunity to get back into wrestling because I do care and I can't wrestle and I can't get back in the ring, but I can still participate and I can still give back. Now, do you notice, because I was actually going to ask about that, but you obviously already answered about giving back. Have you noticed some of the younger girls that you've met through the Alley Club and different ways through social media that they are taking to some of the things you're trying to educate them about? I I do believe that that's the case. And I I know actually from some personal um, correspondence that I've had back and forth with some younger workers and stuff like that, that they are uh, becoming more and more aware and more independent and they speak up for themselves and one of the things that we did at the Cauliflower Alley Club this year is we created a panel and uh, Dr. Dave Reese and I conducted the panel and we had Susie Spirit, who's an entertainment lawyer now in Las Vegas, and Rock Riddle and Al Burke about a plan B. Because if you don't have a plan B, then you tend to just grab at anything coming your way, and that's where you make mistakes, and that's how you get into trouble. So we had some great advice from those three speakers, and especially Susie Spirit with um, creating paper trails, and if a promoter puts you to work, what to, you know, how to start documenting and making sure you get paid and making sure that, you know, you have a plan of action in place so that if you are going to get, if, if it is a scam that you're going to see the red flags early instead of after you spent your money to get somewhere and wrestle and find out that you just got, you know, you just got stiff. Yeah. Well, it's also nice to hear in which, like you said, the, the current and newer generations seem to be learning as well. It seems like it's, and it's nice to hear that after your injury, you're able to look at the picture and say, you know what, I'm still young enough, what am I going to do with myself? And to be able to be right. smart enough to, okay, know where you were going to go career-wise, post-wrestling. And, yeah. and it's nice to see that somebody's trying to explain, even if somebody's not hurt, that there's life after wrestling. And it's nice to see somebody out there not only on just the women's side, but on either side, both men and women, teaching this. And I'm sure the girls appreciate well, this. Well, and I hope that I hope so. And and it's not just for girls too. You're right. It's for the young. Any young worker needs to go into this business with their eyes wide open. And of course, everyone wants to end up on television at one point or another. I mean, I get it. I get it. But we take such a beating out there and it's not a regulated industry, even though if there was a way to regulate this industry, I would be I would want to be involved in that. I can't I, I mean, at the forefront of that, I would be there with whatever I needed to do to try and help regulate this industry. But it's not regulated. So it makes it makes all of us working in the industry very vulnerable. Even girls that I've known for 20 years, are they're, they're, they could still be vulnerable. So that's why if we can't regulate it, we got to support each other. We got to have a support group. The, the panel that I taught last year, this seminar that I gave on social media, you can find those on YouTube. I recorded those so that you can, you know, still go back and review and make sure that, you know, you're, you're, 
focusing on things that you need to be focusing on. Well, I know on the male side as well, there's somebody who's been doing this since the 70s as far as what you're trying to do with, as far as advocation. So I want to get your take on what said to me off air and personally. Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. He has been... Oh, I love him. Roddy, I know for a fact that... And he's been out there saying we should be eventually unionized, insurance, just everything. Do you see, right. do you see those things that are in other fields happening in wrestling eventually? I do, actually. Um, One of the things that I like about the Cauliflower Alley Club reunion that goes on in Las Vegas every year in April, it's where we come together, okay, and we we, we have the nostalgia room, which is open to the public so fans can interact, but behind the scenes, there's seminars going on, there's networking, there's a lot of um, creative minds together in the same spot. And what I really was jazzed about is that it, uh, what Roddy has been doing, the word is out, okay? The, it's, you know, the, the, the thought is out there. Someone's just got to grab it and put it together. But I, I've heard that there might be a chance for uh, wrestling to get to that level, and it should. It would be awesome because if they were a union – then it would be so much better for all the indie workers that are out there right now. And the indie workers outnumber the workers that are on television 10 to 1. Yeah, because you know what? Like you said uh, briefly, there is, yeah, people want to be on television, but like any sport or entertainment field, that percentage of actually making top dollars that you're secure, you know, your Hogan's, your Rocks, your Pipers, you know, that top dollar. It's yeah. too, so few yeah. and far between. You got to take care of the guys. You got to be able to take care of the guys who are jobbers or this or that, who aren't or indie guys or who's not going to make that, you know, top dollar. You're right. You're right. You're right. And that's why I, you know, as far as everything that's available to me in the wrestling world, I give my time to the Cauliflower Alley Club because it's a nonprofit organization. I like the work that they do with their benevolent fund, which is for a fund used to help support those workers that don't have the money to cover some basic costs, like maybe a walker or a funeral expense or, you know, a wheelchair. Sometimes it's transportation to and from someplace, and and that's available to them through the Cauliflower Alley Club. And as long as they're going to help the the workers, I want to be there to help them. Because it makes it sad not to get off topic, because we do have to wrap this up. But sad to see that you hear stories about like what's happened to James Kamala Harris, a guy who was a legend in this business, but yet he's got his own health issues, and people are supposedly taking advantage of that. I'm not sure if you're familiar yeah. with the yeah. story, but, you know, it's sad. And you hope there's... Well, I'm not uh, familiar with health. Well, I'll talk to you off air about that, but it's, you know, it's just, you know, sad that, you know, he's got... The guy has mm-hmm. some issues and there people are trying to raise funds for him and, you know, there's, there's a lot to it. So you, you hope there's something there. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know what? That's uh, one of the things that I love about this business. Adam is that you know regardless of you know it does get a lot of attention it's it's part it's a it's a branch of the entertainment business we're all in it but there you know there's this family 
that we that you're a part of when you become a, a wrestler. It doesn't matter what level you wrestle at. You're part of this family and you're appreciated for the work you did. If no one saw you got, you know, if only 50 people saw you tear your ACL, it still hurts and I'll feel that. You know, we're, we're just all part of this big family and I think that we can do a, you know, I think as long as we keep talking about it, Adam, we can we can actually help this industry become regulated, become maybe unionized, work harder to create awareness for, um, you know, uh, concussions and injuries and everything else. I mean, there's there's so much there's so many good people out there that want this to happen. So I see it happening. I hope it happens in my lifetime. Well, a lot of people probably feel the same way you do. Little Egypt. For the fans, if they want to contact you, is there a way they can contact you? Sure. Uh, through social media, you can find me on Twitter at Little Egypt. So easy. Little Egypt, one word. And then Facebook, you can interact with me on the official page of Little Egypt or use your search engine or just put in Glow as my first name, Little Egypt as my second name, and subscribe to my profile and interact with me there. I'll have links to every glow girl that is on Twitter or on Facebook. Just look in my notes sections and you'll find everybody. We're there. We want to engage. We're happy to be in the wrestling community and just happy that our story is getting told. Exactly. Well, I appreciate you coming in, talking about the documentary and everything we've discussed so far. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Adam.